When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the Football Writers Podcast. My name's Mike Calvin. I'm joined by Darren Lewis of The Daily Mirror and Miguel Delaney of The Independent. It's yet another international break, a time of managerial intrigue and conjecture, but also a time for meaningful questions. What's going on at Tottenham? Have Manchester City already lost the Premier League? And have Manchester United reached rock bottom? Not really as simple as sacking a manager, is it, Darren? Not really, no. Uh, I think it's a question of looking at the players, their situations. In Manchester United's case, the lack of quality, the distinct lack of quality at the club. I think when you look at the playing staff and the amounts of money that's been spent in pursuit of big names without actually building a team, you realise where the problem lies at Manchester United. Sacking Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, particularly now, isn't going to solve anything. I think if you're talking about the end of the season, maybe, because then you could bring someone in who could get rid of the deadwood and bring in the genuine quality that they need. But I think, as far as Manchester United in particular are concerned, I think it's going to get a lot, lot worse before it gets better because they are light years away from the side that we grew up on. They are a world away in terms of leadership and management from Sir Alex Ferguson. Uh, and I, I don't mean that in terms of harking back to the days of a legend. I'm talking about what should have been continuity in terms of getting a top name to continue to build on his work. They failed to do that. And now everything is just quick fixes. And I think what's costing the most is the fact that they went for Galacticos in pursuit of that commercial success mm. instead of building a team. Isn't that the, the issue, Migs, where you've got essentially no plan other than to monetize the brand? Yeah, completely. I mean, that, that's if, if you look at the primary difference between uh, Manchester United and Manchester City and Liverpool, but it's got so bad it's not even those teams. It's, it's also clubs like Leicester, even Watford, despite their struggles. They all have much more of an identity about what they want to be. And I, like the way any good football club is run these days is you have a set identity and everything builds from there. You sign players according to that plan, you hire managers according to that plan, and the plan obviously evolves as the game evolves. But ultimately, you have a fundamental idea. There is no fundamental idea at United. And, say, and stuff like we bring true youth to this club or we play fast, counter-attacking football, that's not a football idea. They're just principles just tacked on. They're just kind of consequences rather than causes. We keep coming back to this issue. If United were to try and decide on a football idea, who would the club would do that? There's no football expertise there, particularly in this era now where the manager shouldn't decide 
that to this degree that they're kind of essentially more expendable. But even then, he should have more backing. And I, the one thing I would say with Solskjaer is I, I do think that um, the decision to ultimately perma- to permanently appoint him was a bit of a, a juncture moment in the club's history and a threshold moment in which basically all the bad decisions they've taken since Ferguson retired are now crashing together at once and causing what could be a really, really bad season. Because I, I, I disagree with Darren a bit. I don't think Solskjaer is up to it. I think they could sack him, maybe get in a better manager who would have more more in effect with what he's got but there are, there are obviously still bigger problems there mm. um, but we're, we're seeing it all come together now if you, sat, if you sacked him now who would you get in now because any decent manager worth his sort would look at the playing staff and say I could not make that team work I'm, there is not enough quality to be able to get results on a consistent basis and then it would look bad on me so why not wait until I could take over at a point where I could actually have an influence on the team, on the recruitment, and get the results that are necessary? But do you think that events might dictate actions in terms of... They're playing Liverpool yes. immediately after this break. If they get humiliated mm. at Old Trafford, which is you know, quite likely, or wouldn't be a surprise there will be such a reaction to that that they'd have to react. Well, if I'm not mistaken, it was defeat to Liverpool that did for Jose. Same Jose, yeah. yeah. Uh, and for all of the other teams they could lose to, to lose to the team who they'd knocked off their perch would be, I, I, I agree, I would think it would be very, very difficult. And when you look at the side, when you look at their shapelessness defensively, there is every chance that a Liverpool side playing at high intensity could go there and score two, three, you know, Sadio Mane will rip through that defence like a knife through butter, mm. hot knife through butter. So I think, yes, in answer to your question, if they were to be humiliated by a Liverpool, it could well force a change. What I'm saying is that the calibre of manager that they would want to get, mm. if he's got any sense, would look at that squad and look at what's going on there and think, not for me right now. Yeah, the, the managerial market is pretty static anyway. If they've got a, a good job, you know, we can all joke about, well, Max Allegri's learning English, so he's bound to yeah. go to Manchester United. You know, Wenger's the one who intrigues yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but this is, this is maybe a harsh, harsh thing, but we're talking about a guy whose only success has been in a league ranked 25th in Europe, who, who has his only experience in England previously this was getting relegated with Cardiff, and he's now actually replicating that form. I mean, I agree with you. I agree with you that he, he's, he's not up to it. Yeah. If, he were, if he had not played for Manchester United, Solskjaer would not have that job. Mm. I think we all agreed on that. All I'm saying is that sacking him now will be difficult for Manchester United because I don't think... And we can talk about how wonderful and massive a club they are and, and how much of a giant... But the fact is that could they get somebody who would be willing and good enough to be able to get them to where they want to be at this stage of the season. I do think, actually, most stopgap appointments would actually be better than them. I, I think, I think <laughs> I genuinely... And I, I think there's almost a little bit of a Marie... I mean, it's one of the reasons the Solskjaer succeeded so much, the first thing, was basically he wasn't Jose Mourinho. He just changed things. And there was a kind of a kind of emotional response to that. And in that context, his tactics did initially work. But it was, it was never a long-term solution. And it could almost be the same there, where... Because I think... In, and I suppose we'll get onto this with Spurs as well. But when situations get like this, I think there becomes an element where a team just needs a jolt and a massive change to actually alter their form, or else it'll just keep like the atmosphere is so bad, he just kind of keeps down the kind of same trajectory. Mm. And you've got key players there who are, if you look at Rashford, for instance, he looks worn down mm. by all. There have been escalating decisions 
when you've when you've looked at the transfer market, um, they've allowed you know Sanchez to go, Lukaku to go. You've now got injuries. Yeah, you know they're vulnerable. Rashford's trying to take it all on his own back. He's not. I think it's one goal in 18 or 19 one games. One touch in the box yesterday yeah. uh, against uh, Newcastle. One touch yeah. in the opposition box. You've got, you've got Lingard, you've got uh, a, a number of players there who are not up to the shirt. And I think when you look at Solskjaer, he doesn't improve players. That's the biggest thing you could level at him. You know, you don't. I can't look at a single player at Manchester United, including the ones that he's brought to the club, and say he's really improved him. You know, yeah. they, they've all been good players before. They've arrived. We've known what they could do, and they're doing it at Manchester United. But I think as far as the other players you mentioned are concerned, in the case as well of Mason Greenwood, he's 17 years old. He should not even be in the equation to save the club in any given Premier League match. Mm. They sold Lukaku. Lukaku's gone on to score the goals that have helped uh, Inter Milan. They were top. Juventus have mm. deposed him at the top uh, the, at the weekend. But Lukaku's gone on to score goals. Why did they not bring another experienced striker in to replace him once he was sold. I think there are too many decisions that are being taken at the club that just, as you say, don't smack of football thinking. Yeah, yeah. And I think, I mean, if, I suppose the biggest problem with United right now, actually, it's, it's very much the attacking. And I think it's in, indicative there of two of the players. I mean, first of all, with Lukaku, you said, the fact they sold him without replacing him is that it was remarkable. And I think the, there are people who are close to Lukaku who would be kind of maybe... Slightly enjoying what's happened to Solskjaer in that regard because of the fact that they felt he was very much pushed out of the club and they didn't really like the manager's demeanour in, in how he did that. Um, like Not fancying was one thing, but they didn't like, I think, the way he was completely forced out. And then the other side, like we mentioned Rashford there. I was talking to someone who played against him the other day. So two years ago, when, when he first broke through, he was just electric. He, his, his running was slightly predictable at that point um, just because of the nature of where he was in his game. But he was so fast he could get away with it until basically defenders adapted. Mm. But they said what you'd expect then is basically for some coaching to kick in. Mm. And that's the basically Rashford hasn't received it enough in that regard. Mm. By common consent, despite recent results, Maurizio Pochettino is a coach who can improve players, especially young players. What's gone on at Tottenham in terms of the, the wheels have fallen off mm. really quite quickly? But I suppose. You can say that in one sense, but on the other hand, was it 22 points out of their last 20 league games? I think they're paying the price for starting a rebuild that they didn't complete before mm. the season started. They were willing to sell all of their defenders during the summer. Two of their defenders were in the last year of their contract. Danny Rose left behind when they went off on their summer tour. Sergio has been up for sale for probably longer than my house. You know, I mean, it's, it's just... <laughs> How can we be surprised if they go into a season with their heads not in the game? You know, when they were, they all are aware that the club don't want them. That's the first thing. Then you've got Christian Eriksen who openly said last season he would like to play for another team. What is he still doing at Spurs? Mm. Then you look at Deli Alli, who's lost his form. Then you look at Victor Wanyama, who can't stay fit and they tried to sell him, but they wanted too much for him and he's still at Spurs. There are so many players still at Spurs who either are up for sale or the club don't want. How can we be surprised that their form has taken a nosedive? What they've got to do, I still do think they should <coughs> by Pochettino because he didn't just improve their results, he changed the mentality at the club. He helped them to stop thinking about their season being about beating Arsenal, yeah. you know, finishing above them in the league, but about aspiring to the top four, the title, the top teams. And he gave them the confidence to be able to 
match strides with those top teams and now they expect to go to a Chelsea or a Manchester United and win rather than with their knees knocking together. I was at Bayern Munich the other night and it scared me how easily Bayern just ripped them apart. But the Brighton result scared me even more because that looked to me like a group of players that are not committed to the cause anymore. Now, everyone's at fault because, you know, you got people who didn't spend that money. Once those players... Think about it, guys, right? In 2001, Sol Campbell walked away to Arsenal for nothing. How did Spurs get into a position now where yet another, but not just one, three players could walk away? Top players. But they're playing the away. system, aren't they? Yeah. It's a bit of a law of unintended consequence there. And I think... I have actually had a certain sympathy for Levy here because he actually has to take kind of the long-term view of the club, set their negotiating position at all times. And yet, it does feel as if sometimes there should be more flex there. I mean, if you look at the situation with basically all the players they wanted out, and I think this is a big thing because ultimately, I think a lot of this comes back to basically, I know it sounds simplistic, but I do think it's true, the kind of Ferguson maximum, basically, the three or four years the most you can have with any club or any team, then it starts to get stale, it needs freshening up, and that's when you need drastic changes. I think uh, Pochettino's been aware of that, but hasn't been able to enact those changes. And one of, the, one of the first examples there is trying to get rid of players. And one of the major problems has basically been that Levy has a certain price for so many players. He hasn't got that price, so they've stayed. And it's as if they haven't realised the true value in just getting a deal done, rather than always looking at it in terms of the kind of financial bottom line. Because it would probably be worth much more to spur for some of these players who have gone and to rebuild another way, than to still have them there, just kind of causing this atmosphere to fester and, and allowing this stagnation to set in. Mm. How much is Pochettino to blame for those ills? I, I, I wouldn't say Pochettino is necessarily to blame because he's tried to make it work for a long time. They didn't buy anyone last season. You know, and, and he's, he made it work. And I don't really go get carried away by the loss of form in the league towards the back end of last season because all their eggs were in the Champions League basket mm. when they got to the final and, and you know, they, they lived the dream. You know, OK, they didn't win it and they obviously believed they could, but, but he got them to the final against the odds. I think that it's difficult to expect him to motivate a group of players Either he believed wouldn't still be there or he expected a decision would have been taken with before this season started. And in that, I'm referring to Vertonghen and Alderweireld and, and Ericsson. Because with a year left, they just shouldn't be there. You know, mm. if you're going to sign, you know, I remember years and years ago, Jermaine Defoe wouldn't sign a new contract. And um, Martin Neal just didn't play him because the manager said, if he's not committed to the team, I'm not putting him in the team. You know, mm. I look at these players now and everyone's saying, Ericsson, why is he not playing? Well, it's quite obvious he doesn't want to commit himself to a team. He wants to be somewhere else, put someone else. And I think when Lacelso's fit, Lacelso will be playing instead of Ericsson, not necessarily because he's better at this point in time, but because he's committed to the team. And I, I, I think if they'd completed this rebuild, they'd have players to put into those positions mm. who might not necessarily be, be better than the individuals, but at least they're focus is on helping Tottenham to get better. The focus for these, these individuals, and I don't blame them at all, you've got to look out for yourself, you know, you've got people say don't sign a contract if you don't want to be held or priced out of a move and so they're not signing the contract, you don't blame them for that. Right. But the fact is that you can't then be surprised if results don't go Tottenham's way and players shrug their shoulders. Will Pochettino last the season as Tottenham manager? 
Uh, I think so because, again, it comes back to the, heart, the bottom line. I don't think Levy would be very interested in paying what it would take in terms of kind of severance fee, all, all the rest of it. Because uh, it, then it's not just about the cost of getting rid of Posh and his staff, it's also about the cost of bringing someone else in. <laughs> Which is why, actually, it was a situation they dreaded for two, three years. But the ideal fix for everyone, actually, here could be for United to come in for a Pochettino <laughs> yeah. and, and pay out his contract. Do you think that's likely? Depends how bad it gets for United, I think. Because I think Woodward is so personally invested in this Solskjaer appointment. It comes back to the um, the Malcolm Tucker quote, you know, mm. sacked in a year, you messed up. He didn't quite say that. Mm-hmm. Sacked in a week, we messed up. With, with um, Spurs, you know, at this juncture, they need leadership on the pitch. Yeah. Um, Sizoko was very vocal, I thought, at the weekend with his, with his public apology which sometimes you look at that and you just think, oh, just, they're just empty words. Who are the leaders that Tottenham need? Just to go across for a second, there, there was an interesting detail actually in a piece uh, Jack Pip Brooke did on Sunday uh, with the Athletic, which is basically that uh, the Brighton players were shocked by how quiet all the Spurs players were on the pitch. They couldn't believe it, that there was no kind of response. Very few people shouting or trying to, you know, offer any sort of guidance in the game. Mm. And I think that's quite notable. It's not, the fact that's been said is striking in itself. Yeah. I think with Lloris now, and Lloris had a kind of quiet leadership really, often it was by example, the saves he pulled off against Southampton were quite a riposte for anyone who wanted to come at him for throwing one in during the first half. I think as far as Harry Kane is concerned, I remember there was a European game, was it the first leg against City? I can't remember, where at half-time he came in and he was having a real go at the players. He wasn't available for the match, but they weren't playing quite at the level that they should have been. And, and the players were saying afterwards, Harry came in and he was having a right old go at us. And I think the person to take leadership could well be Harry Kane if they're going to get out of this because there are leaders at the club. The mm. problem is that there are too many players in that squad who are not committed as things stand in terms of their future to where the club yeah. is trying to but go. But you, you know the way that dressing rooms work and football works. Mm. He'll have people in his ear saying, look, you're 26, 27, you're at a key phase of your career, you need to get out. They will be saying that. And, and, and the problem, I mean, what works in, in Spurs' favour is that they've got a number of, he's got a number of years on his contract. And so the very thing that we maybe lay at the door of Daniel Levy could be his great strength in terms of having tied him down for a number of years. It would take an exorbitant fee to get him away from Tottenham. Uh, but uh, if you look at Tottenham, and I'm sure you'd agree with this, uh, they are his boyhood club, and under Pochettino, they have a chance of being able to get out of this this run of form. And at the moment, it's just a bad run of form. They've had some terrific years under Pochettino, building to where they're going to get to. And at the moment, this is a bad run of form. It could, though, get worse between now and the transfer window because those players aren't going anywhere between now and the transfer window. And so it could be that the urgency does increase for Harry Kane, but they've got that insurance of a big contract. So... It could well be that even though that is the case and people are in his ear saying, look, you can do better, at the moment it's not going to happen. Mm. But it's the thing, I think, like, I mean, if you look at this logically, because um, I, I still think Pochettino's a genius, I think he's one of the best things ever that happened to Spurs. Uh, so, I mean, really, he, he should be given carte blanche to basically just to be change this team and, and, and like, that, that's what should be allowed to happen. But just the very 
structure of the modern game doesn't really allow that in terms of transfer windows, in terms of Spurs' finance, in terms of contracts. It would just be too long a process. And it does mean we're in this bizarre situation where arguably the most logical fix for Spurs is just a change of manager. It, it shouldn't be that way, but this could be where we're headed if things... If you he, if he really can't snap them out. And again, it's like in that, in, from that perspective, I almost have kind of two competing views in my head. Again, one is that Pochettino's a genius, one of the best managers in the world. The other is that when it's gone, it's gone. Yeah. The thing is, I mean, they've got Sanchez and Foyth, who when he gets fit, they could field those two at centre-half. Aurea, you could still put in. Because, I mean, there are days, you know, on his going days... He's, he's a liability, though, isn't he? Absolutely, he's a liability. No, no, no qualms about that whatsoever. I mean, the, the sending off against Southampton was just brainless. And previous to that, he'd given an interview and he was asked, you know, how are you coping with all the competition for your players at Spurs? And he said, what competition? And then you put him in and he goes and he does that. So... I agree, he's a liability, but I think what they need is to somehow just get to January and, and they're going to have to try somehow to be active and to bring in quality in that market and in the meantime maybe put players in who are committed to what the team are trying to do. Yeah. So here we are, uh, October the 7th, makes Is the Premier League title already decided? Uh, no. Um, I, all, all evidence suggests pointing one way and even at the moment that... Um, Liverpool will actually extend the lead, but these are footballs. This may be points to how strong they are. That we're going to point to intangibles in this way, but football is funny in that sense. In that, what's true now can be very wrong in a month's time. And if let's not forget, in the build-up to this season, the expectation was that City would sustain their form, and Liverpool just couldn't possibly replicate the same points return when the opposite has happened. And if it is cut, say suddenly. With the, with, the, with the kind of curious psychological dynamics of a title race, a lead cut to five points rather than built to five points feels very different. Mm. Um, so no, I would say there's still too much to go. I think City will come back strong in January in particular. I think they will sign. There'll be a response. But then the question now is was whether Liverpool can extend that to something to a ridiculous lead in the, in the meantime. Because even like, I think this is one of the reasons why people thought City would streak away in that their first half season, or sorry, first spell of uh, fixtures were much easier than Liverpool, much more forgiving than Liverpool's. Whereas now Liverpool have come through this spell, they've won eight in a row. Now they're playing United then Spurs, and yet with both, it's actually the perfect time to play them. Mm. So, uh, And the symbolism of them equaling City's record, yeah. unbeaten record of 18 matches, by winning at Old Trafford, mm. is perfect for Liverpool, isn't it? Oh, perfect. And... It's interesting with Liverpool that the attitude is reflecting the leadership because he's driven, he's motivated, he's intense. And when you look at that team, even in the lucky wins against Sheffield United and the last gasp win this weekend, they've been pushing and, and cajoling and prodding and creating those opportunities that they've been able to take advantage of. And there would be a terrific symbolism, as you say, about being able to match that record. I, I think as far as... City are concerned, though, they have the quality to shoot themselves out of trouble. And I, I, that's why I would not suggest it would be over at this stage. The lead was seven points. We were talking before we came on mm. last season, mid-season, and they managed to wipe it out and go on to win. They win two games against Liverpool, and suddenly an eight-point lead is two points. Uh, the only caveat to that, as you say, Miguel, is that... Could it get worse? Because I look at some of the wayward passing against Wolves. Had they had a better attack, Wolves, they could have been 5-0 yeah. down, you know, yeah. at Manchester City. Some, some of that wayward passing was look through your finger stuff. Uh, Otamendi, Fernandinho. I, I think, I counted, I think Wolves had three or four chances that they blew 
because of a lack of composure. So was this their ground zero, if you like, and they're going to improve from this? Or is this a symptom of something that other teams, better teams, could take advantage of? So is it a team that can be trusted, the Manchester City team? The, the one thing I'd say, I think, if you're looking through Premier League history, they, given what they've done in the past three years, they and maybe Anya Ferguson's strong United's, or maybe Jose Mourinho's first Chelsea, are the one team you wouldn't write off in the situation, because I think they're capable of putting that sort of run together. That's basically the only thing that would stop me saying Liverpool winning. I think if Liverpool were almost up against anyone else, bar those, it, it, it'd, be, it'd be clinched. But it's a good job, bet, so that in, in June, when they're <laughs> <laughs> yeah. leading by 10 points, yeah. no one can come back at us. Yeah. <laughs> when, you, when, when you look at, at Liverpool... You know, there was there was a frisson of almost fear when uh, Salah was hurt. Now it looks like it's it's manageable with his ankle. Can they survive and thrive if that front three is disrupted? Again, I, I think they can because th there is an attitude that's running through that team that's enabled them to build on the success of last season in the Champions League and start almost from square one again. Mm. And, and, and so it's not as if they are going out believing that we've done this great thing, sixth European trophy, uh, the, the Champions League, whatever, and suddenly we're going to come out with our heads not being able to fit through the door at Anfield. I mean, they've, they've, their attitude has been first class. And Mane, if anything, has been the key player in that side. I know lots of people rave about Firmino. Really, you pay your money, it takes your choice. A lot of people mm. are But I look at Mane and his, his composure, his ability to be able to outmanoeuvre defenders, his defensive awareness as well, because mm. the way he tracked back to, to deal with Chilwell at times, it was just, it was the perfect performance. Yeah, complete, wasn't it? Absolutely. And I think for that reason, I still think that they could survive if and if that front three was disrupted. It was interesting, I saw a piece uh, which was quoting Cesc Fabregas, basically saying that Mane is now in the top three in the world. Do you agree with that? Yeah, and M Messi thinks the same, basically. He voted him <laughs> top of the Ballon d'Or. I mean, that was a bit strong, but yeah, I think uh, at this point, it's, it's, it's actually obviously surpassed Salah in terms of Liverpool's mo most important forward. I mean, to go back to your question, I suppose, from before, I think if they could survive with one of the attackers, one of Salah or Mane, gone. they've still got enough firepower. Whereas the big one, the, the, the problem they'd have would be if Van Dijk went still, because I think he, he fixes so much in that defence. And, and this, this is again why it's not over, because you know, no, no one sees, foresees injuries in that regard. You, know, you never know how a season can suddenly twist in that way. Mm. Is it, that is, I, I actually agree with what you're saying. I, but then I was thinking, they've got the best defensive record in the Premier League, mm. and their top goalkeeper isn't available. And I think if he were fit, we would be saying they could probably could survive without Salah and Mane. But if they were to lose Alisson, then they'd be in real trouble. Because yeah. Adrian wasn't good enough for West Ham, mm. you know. Uh, uh, and yet, Adrian's been good, really good. I, I won't say outstanding. We throw that word around too much, but certainly he's been decent in, in that position. Having said all of that, I do, as I said before, agree with you about Van Dijk because his leadership, he, you talk to Van Dijk and he talks about how the players around him respond. I did talk to Van Dijk at Watford last season and he said the players soak so much in and they're so willing to learn that it makes my job a little easier. Mm. I spoke to Joe Gomez on England duty and Gomez says he's such a terrific leader. He guides you through games. He gives you the confidence to be able to make decisions and, mm. and, and, and if you make a mistake, he calms you down quickly and helps you to put it out of, out of your mind. 
mind. Again, spoke to Andy Robertson, I think it was a Norwich, sorry, Brighton, and, and Andy Robertson said the same. They all rave about Van Dyke and the influence he has on that back four. And it's for that reason that I think, I, I agree, if, he, if they were to lose him, then I really would be worried. Mm. Because char character is a, a, you know, an often underestimated thing, you know, in football, well, in life probably. But if you look at um, James Milner, he embodies what a seasoned professional footballer should should be. Mm -hmm. You know, his commitment, his ability to influence games, even at short notice, sometimes as a sub. He's a perfect role model. I know we throw that word around, or those, that description around quite a bit, but he is the perfect role model, isn't he? Yeah, he also reminds basically of the sort of character that basically so many Ferguson champions and, he, and Liverpool used to fill their, their team. And if they weren't necessarily all, they weren't always starters, maybe their best days were behind them, but yeah, it was because of that experience and that, and that, and that example that they, uh, they're the perfect players to have that they kind of really top these squads off in that sense. And kind of and because they, I think they set a certain standard in, as you say, they, they, they're the personification of character in teams. Mm. Pep has also said that he feels that you can't win anything with a team full of academy, academy kids. Um, what are the implications of that for someone like Phil Foden? Because he, at the moment, is almost like the odd man out. Other teams are, are investing in youth, trusting youth. He's basically getting the odd game against substandard Champions League opposition. And I think it's only for, for so long that you can say that, because if you look at Chelsea and uh, Tammy Abraham, I think he is the joint leading scorer for 20, in terms of goals in 2019 with Sergio Aguero, I saw a stat somewhere, um, 1920. Um, and not only that, I look at Chelsea and I see him, I see Fakayo Tomori, I see Rhys James, I see Mason Mount, I see players whose value is increasing week in, week out, whose confidence is increasing week in, week out, His, whose ability to be able to compete with experienced players in the Premier League and in the Champions League is increasing week in, week out. And these players are overtaking Phil Foden because as wonderful a talent as he might be, he is not playing regular first-team football. How he would thrive in a Chelsea team or a Spurs team when, when, it, when it obviously they're functioning uh, at their best. City are a wonderful team and all the City fans will basically say, well, you know, he does get minutes if you look at this, but they are minutes. Mm -hmm. They're not regular starts. And if he had those starts, he would, he would outshine everyone. I, I would be very curious as to what discussions Guardiola and Foden have actually had into I mean, obviously with Foden's people as well in terms of what not necessarily promises have been made but what like what targets they've set what 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 they're willing to consider acceptable because I think if you're in Foden's position he hasn't played enough football for the the, the standard he is for the age he's at and, and there is actually there, there is a wider because we've we've seen it with other players and I think it's it's something that's only beginning to be appreciated now and I think examples like Chelsea have really kind of emphasised it but. If footballers don't get regular game time at the key age of 17, 20, I think it's, 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 it's almost statistically proven they don't fulfil the talent they have. And it can actually cause, it can have a, stag a stagnating effect on a career, despite how... No, no. Makes look, but do you, OK, maybe not that the, the actual age 17, 20, but if you look at Sean Wright Phillips, mm. Jack Rodwell, Adam Johnson, you know, all those players who went to clubs, big clubs, I, I, I'm thinking of other players as well, but, you know, players who went to big clubs who... 
said, oh, no, I'm fine on the bench, you know, I trust the manager, you know, I'm OK, mm. and regretted it ultimately and, and ended up leaving for regular first-team football and not going to clubs at the level that they hoped they would mm. go to, going, having to go to clubs a level below, you know, that top tier because they'd not yeah. taken up the opportunity to fulfil their massive potential mm. by getting that regular first-team game time. Because there does seem to be a culture shift underway, it's becoming increasingly a young man's game, isn't mm. it? Not just at Chelsea, where you, you know, you saw at the weekend Aaron Connolly with uh, yeah. Brighton, you know, his debut, just to the manner born, basically. A lad like that, you know, from, with your Irish background, were you aware of someone like that coming through? Yeah, he was talked up a lot in Ireland, and funnily enough, actually, after about a decade when Irish football was in crisis as well, in terms of the standard of the team we're producing. Very suddenly, there's a, there's a good group of kids. The under-21 team is, is really talked about a lot. And Connolly was one of those. I mean, the Irish media have done a lot of them in the past few weeks, and it was uh, yeah, naturally a, a lot of excitement at the weekend. There's finally mm. maybe <laughs> mm. Premier, League, Premier League stars coming through for us again. But yeah, he Connolly was brilliant. Parrot as well. Yeah, yeah, complete, completely, yeah. Um, there is a good group, and I think it was actually it was the maturity Connolly showed as well, which is remarkable. I mean, that that second goal was very, it was almost Vardy-like. Mm. Mm. And talking of goals, you you talked about the impact of, of Tammy Abraham and Mason Mount. Twelve goals between them in eight league games, so it does prove that if you give these kids the opportunity, they can repay you. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think the transfer embargo for Chelsea has been the best thing to have happened to them for years. It saved them a fortune in the transfer market and it's meant that while they've waited years and years and years for a player to come through the, the academy and be the next John Terry, they've got four or five of them, yeah, potentially, yeah. for the next five, ten years. And I think, to, just to underline your point and to jump around a bit, even with England, if you look at Gareth Southgate, he's going younger and younger because I think Carl Walker in particular is unlucky to be left out of the squad mm. and yet he's got younger and younger talents that he can put his trust in and I think if you look at Chelsea and Frank Lampard it isn't just the fact that he's thrown them in but it's his management of those players as well it's his trust in those players as well at the start of the season when they got trashed 4-0 Lampard said I have unequivocal faith in these players I'm not interested in the result I will back these players. It's a sort of faith, total commitment that we see in Dutch clubs like Ajax where they develop players and we say, oh my goodness, how, how could I... They have this wonderful model. We should be following this model. We've got people here are doing just that. So I can't buy an argument that a talented player like Foden has to wait and wait season in, season yeah. out mm. when other managers are doing it and proving it can be done. Are German clubs smarter Premier League clubs in terms of, you know, you, you look what they've done with, you know, Jadon Sancho, who was very well looked after at that football club. You know, the, the manager came to the conclusion at the weekend, he said, look, you're dead. Mm -hmm. So he put him on the bench. He came off the bench and, you know, assisted the, the, the second goal in the 2-2 draw at Freiburg. But, um, you know, look at, you know, Gnabry coming, you know, coming back to uh, Horn Arsenal. Yeah. Are they better at harvesting or developing young talent simply because, unlike some of the Premier League clubs, they're not drunk on money. That's exactly it. I did, I did a piece in this in January uh, on this exact team. I think what really came out of it was that this is a classic case of basically exploiting an imbalance in the market, which is, and it's what you point to, Premier League clubs have got so much money that, um, you know, they, they, they can buy when they need, but it, it, it ultimately means, and Chelsea were a classic case of so much, I think why, why a transfer ban was so timely for them, because 
they were a club in need of an identity reboot anyway. And because they had money, they got into this strange situation where anytime there was a flaw in the squad, they'd bring in kind of maybe a second or third tier player. Signings like Zappa Costa, mm. kind of indicative of this. Whereas, um, and, and it did mean that there was so many of these young players coming through and they, had, they were hitting a ceiling, had nowhere to go. And basically, the Bundesliga has offered them the way out. Mm. Uh, and it's meant they're, they're getting football, they're getting that key football, and they're excelling. And maybe, and again, I could see the German clubs take advantage of them another way and that they, they, what will likely happen is that, particularly in the case of Sancho, a player they signed for almost nothing ends up getting them a fee of about 100 million. But see, I, you say are the German clubs better. That I think you, what you've already underlined the reasons why they've had to take that approach. But are they better? I mean, I look at that management from Lampard, you know, and it's hard not to be really impressed mm. with the way that he's given those players to go out, the confidence to go out and perform. Hudson Odoi now, who could have been at Bayern Munich, is in the, the, the Chelsea team, provided assist for one of the goals yesterday. And, and, and he is going to be outstanding. And Mason Mount is playing so well that he's keeping out a £58 million signing in the shape of Christian Pulisic. Mm. And I 100% agree with your point makes about the fact that for so long Chelsea were going out and buying substandard yeah. second tier players when they had the players under their noses who if they'd given them a chance given them their heads they could show that they've got the quality under the right leadership so are the, are the foreign clubs better? No they're good at it no doubt when you look at the Bayerns and you look at the Nabries they're just Mm. I, I think there must have been a point where Tony Pulis turned off and watched Emmerdale Farm last week <laughs> because maybe I got my timings wrong there. But I just think, how could you not think Serge Gnabry is, is, is a Premier League player? Mm. He looked like the roadrunner, the way he just outpaced the Tottenham defenders. And OK, maybe they're not motivated, whatever else. But Gnabry, he is absolutely a, a quality player. And he those players are benefiting because the German clubs are having faith in the young players. And now that we're seeing in this country that there is quality there, hopefully other clubs might mm. well decide to go down that Lampard route. Do you see signs that Arsenal might go down that route as well? You know, obviously Joe Willock's come in, Reese Nelson's been in and out. Um, uh, Martinelli did very well uh, midweek last week in the Europa League. Almost through, uh, through almost circumstance rather than design, is Unai Emery almost managing a transitional team which will work to his favour. Yeah, a little bit, and in a similar sort of way, actually. Arsenal were in the same situation as Chelsea for many years, and that they, they produced so many good young teams. Like Chelsea and Arsenal have kind of seen the best down south, really. Um, so many good youth teams, but there were very few that actually made the, um, made the leap up to the first team. I think maybe that was partly covered because basically Wenger had this historic reputation for bringing true young players, but it had kind of stopped happening in real terms. And, I, and, I, and we've seen so many young Arsenal players move on. In fact, they've lost a few to Germany as well in that regard. But now, yeah, because of circumstances, partly because of the budget, I mean, there was so much talk of uh, how constrained Arsenal's budget was in summer, which was proven in some of the deals they had to do. Uh, and it has, again, left gaps that are now being filled. And it's, <laughs> they offer more vibrancy than mm. the... Uh, the Arsenal senior team, shall we say. Yeah. Well, you, you, know, you use the word identity, and I think... If you, let's take Everton as a case in point. They spent £106 million in the transfer market this summer. I still don't know what that team represents. I still don't know, after five years and five jobs, whether Marco Silva is a, is a manager of any note whatsoever. That's a club with a big decision to take, isn't it? Yeah, it is, because there are, there, there are some numbers around that club that are scary. I mean... Marcel Brand said when he recruited uh, Silva that they were looking for a better style of play. Okay, so the long passes have 
decreased, but if you look at the win percentage, his win percentage, uh, Silva's 37%, Allardyce's was 37.5%. Silva's picked up 1.3 points per game, Allardyce picked up 1.4 points per game. Uh, they've gone behind 20 times on all of those occasions, they've lost. The goal they conceded at the weekend, their 22nd goal from a set piece. They are weak defensively. They don't have a, a, a style of play. You look at the discipline. You look at Coleman sent off at the weekend. Sixth time he's been sent off more than any other club under, Sil uh, under Silva. Um, on average, he's at clubs for 52 games. Well, Saturday was his 52nd game. Yeah. It just looks, if, if, if this period of the season is dangerous for any given manager, it's him. Because I can't see how he's improved that team. And I can't see where the team are going under him. OK, you could argue that he's been unfortunate because the midfielder, Gabamin, the Ivorian that he signed, he's been injured. He was, I think he played two games maybe and then he's been out for two months with, with injury. But even so, there is enough quality in that team for them to be doing better. They're easy to play against. Yeah, they can score goals. Iwobi should have scored a couple at the weekend. But... I look. You mentioned the amount he spent on the team. Look at Daesh, who was a contender for that job before they appointed him. He spent thirty-four million pounds, and that team looks better organised, better capable of dealing with setbacks, and there looks to be more character. You used the word character earlier about that team. Everton, I, th I think Silva should be very, very worried. So we're in international week. Um, interesting to see Gareth Southgate come out and talk about. I don't want a club job. I don't need a club job. Do you understand why? Yeah, completely, because I think he's on to one of the most exciting things in uh, international football at the moment. Uh, and England are in a very good place. They can, they can legitimately look to themselves as one, of the, as one of the best teams in the world and legitimately look to a real prospect of a, or a real hopes of a competing for a trophy next to next him. So I completely get it, yeah. Mm. And it's a team with vibrancy, isn't it? I, I would say so, absolutely. I mean, if you look around the team, and you look at the pace in the side, you look at the creativity in the team. The one area I, I think we're probably not as strong as, say, France and yeah. Germany is centre-half. I think we could have more at centre-half. And also defensive midfield. Creatively, I think we, 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 we could be confident of being among the best. But I think in defensive midfield, Dyer has only really just come back to fitness and doesn't look anywhere near the player. He has been at his best. Uh, we've got promise at centre-half without having the quality that we believe we have. Uh, uh, we can't yet even go in close to comparing Harry Maguire to Virgil van Dijk. You know, mm. van, Virgil van Dijk improves Liverpool, he improves Holland. Harry Maguire is decent for England, but at the moment he's got no protection for Manchester United and doesn't appear to have given confidence to mm. the players around him. And I think we rave when they have a decent result, but I think... Saturday was sorry. Sunday was more of a reflection of where he is at the moment. Mm. Be remiss of us not to mention another former England manager, Roy Hodgson. Crystal Palace. You look at that team on paper and you think sixteenth. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think we we sat here uh, a day after the Community Shield doing our season predictions, and a lot of us had them to go, <laughs> included to go I down. Did, I did. Hands up. Yeah. 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 <laughs> He's done an amazing job, and but that's down to organisation. Yeah, completely. Yeah, to be, and yeah, they're one of the best drilled sides in the Premier League in that regard. And you know, the football might be to everyone's taste, but it continues to be super effective. We're 
talked a lot about managers. Um, just want to end on, on the same subject, really. Um, Oligra Gunnar Solskjaer has had to deactivate his Twitter account because of abuse. What can be done about that? Nothing, sadly, because I think um, uh, social media doesn't need football. I think we, we, we kind of live under the misapprehension that it does, but it doesn't. Yeah, not when it's got celebrity and it's got mm. you know other sports that generate uh, and, and other people uh, who, who you know who live on that site. I, I don't think we, we we want to be able to put pressure on them to 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 get them to do what we want. But the, the sad reality, I've come round to this way of thinking that we we just won't be able to stop it. Um, I interviewed Troy Deeney recently, and he made the argument actually. I'm not sure if he's out yet, so I'm not sure if he's been. But anyway, it's re- it's relevant. Uh, <laughs> But, um, that he made the argument that the big clubs actually could maybe, because they've got such weight in this regard, they could maybe force Twitter's hand, the likes of Twitter's, force their hand a bit more because it's a business decision. Though, as you say, you'd, I mean, if say if a group of the Manchester United, Chelsea, Arsenal went to Twitter and said, right, if there's not action in this, we'll withdraw. Well, first of all, it puts the onus in the club, I suppose, right? Are you real about this? Mm. But it'd be interesting to see what the reaction would be. But I think, I mean, ultimately, no, no, no matter what, a club does in that regard. It's not going to take. It's not going to take away a handful of idiots, or well, it's not a handful, sadly, that will kind of continue to behave in this way. Well, because where are we heading with this? Because you know, you look at um, Chowdhury, the Leicester player. He's just the latest player to be racially abused after a you know a, a, a well talked about incident during a game. Surely we can't tolerate that. No, we can't. And there are ways of people being able to get hold of URLs and track people down, as a, a, a former boxer did yeah. once, I seem to recall. Um, and maybe that's, in the short term, the way to deal with it, actually chase people down and hold them accountable for what they say. But in terms of influences, influencing the, the, the social media companies, we can... And I, this is only a personal view, but I've, I've seen all the talk about, yeah, we want to have meetings with the companies. It's just big talk. At the end of the day, they don't need us. They don't need football. That, that's the reality. I, I think that they, they feel they can survive without football and that football can't put the pressure on them to be able to enact the kind of change we need from them because it's been going on for long enough for the social media companies to have taken a stand, stand on it and yet you see stuff on it and you just think it's right listen if you're a president who can threaten to declare world war (laughs) 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 what chance do you think football companies have of trying to stop people from coming out with idiocy more idiocy more idiocy yeah well i suppose we should never forget that football managers are human beings the money's great but that's not everything they shouldn't have to put up with this sort of rubbish Thanks for joining us here on the Football Writers Podcast. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.